Good evening. Uh, we're continuing the series, the Talmud series. Today it's number 30, 30. And uh, if you remember, last week uh, we spoke about uh, visiting the sick people, taking 168 of his misery, also charity for boy or girl, if the father passed away, who comes first? And the last statement that we made, Rabbi Akiva says, everyone who visiting the sick, reviving him, make him alive. And if he's not, he's making him die. Thank you. And that's, that's where we left it last week. We're continuing, Baruch Hashem. We're in Masechet Nedarim. As you know, and last week we finished Ketubot, we started Nedarim. Today we continue in Masechet Nedarim. Amra Bat Kesar Rabbi Yoshua Ben Hanania. I remember in a time of the second temples, after the, you know, the destruction, came the Romans to Israel and they, they were in charge. You see Roman soldiers everywhere on the Holy Land. And uh, the princess, the daughter of the Caesar, she came to Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania. It's a very big chacham, but it was oh, the opposite of good looking. I don't want to say ugly because when you have such a holy man, you don't want to mess with him. But it wasn't exactly... A very handsome man, okay? Wasn't Rabbi Yochanan. Gemara said Rabbi Yochanan was a very good-looking uh, man. No, he wasn't so. So she come to pick on him. She want to make fun. She comes to him and says, Rabbi, such marvelous Torah and such an ugly utensil. <laughs> so he said, you learn to talk from your father, huh? <laughs> no, that's really not what he told her. He was telling her, don't you know that the answer to your question is right in your father's house? What's the connection? You come to a person, you say to him, you know, how come uh, such beautiful intelligence in such an ugly body or such an ugly head? So he answered to you, get the answer to your question in your own house. What's the answer? Listen good. He asked her, where is your father putting his wine? She said, in barrels. What kind of barrels? Ceramic. Like everybody else, she said. Ceramic barrels. He told her, isn't it a shame? Every poor person put his wine in ceramic barrels. And your father is the king, he put his wine in the same barrels. You should have put it in silver and in gold. Let everybody know that belongs to the king. Okay, the wine of the king in ceramic? She said, you know, you have a point. I'll, I'll bring it to my father. She came to her father, she said, all the world is putting in ceramic barrels and we put in the same thing. Right away they brought Kaspa and Dahava. Kaspa it's silver, Kesef, and Dahav it's Zahav. 
in Aramic it's similar to Hebrew. No, so they brought gold and silver. Azla veramat chamra bemani dechasva vedava. All the wine became vinegar. When you put wine in silver, come six, seven hours later, becomes sour vinegar. I wonder if that's how they make vinegar in our days. No? It's really very quick. In a few hours, you already taste like it's very sour. So he came to her. He said, who told you that? She said, Rabbi Yoshua ben Hananiah. She said, bring him over. He caused us fortunate of damage. <laughs> so he brought him in. He said, you gave my, my daughter this foolish advice to put the wine in uh, silver and gold? He said, she started with me. He told him what she said. So the king forgot his anger. He was so delighted that his daughter made fun of the Jewish rabbi. So he started to smile. He said, ah, but after all, do you have an answer to her question? So this was his answer. If I was handsome, I wouldn't become Rabbi Yoshua ben Hananiah. The only reason I'm a giant scholar is because I'm ugly. Believe me, if I was handsome, you wouldn't see me here. So he told him why. You couldn't be handsome and smart at the same time? No contradiction. He told him, no, I could. But when I, became, when I am ugly, I'm twice as good. Yeah, I could be a chacham. But you know, women, these friends, take me here, take me there. I have some ego, show my face around, confidence. I'm busy with nonsense. That reminds me about Yosef Atzadik. He was such a good-looking person, Yosef, Joseph in Egypt, that the Egyptian princess used to throw their face on the floor just to look at his face. But he was walking like this all day around, that nobody would see him. He doesn't want to see them, and he doesn't want them to look at his face. So they would throw themselves on the floor just to, to take a look, one second on his face. That's how pretty he was. So Eshet Potiphar, the wife of Potiphar, she used to bring her friends, they used to sit and eat etrogim, etrog. How do you say etrog in English? There's a word for it? Etrog. Etrog. In English, there's any word for it? I know it's in the lemon family. Yeah, I, I always say there's few words that are too holy to be, <laughs> to have a name for it in English. So anyway, so they used to eat etrogim, which is a very expensive thing, fruit, you know. It's, it's, it's very delicate, it's very hard to grow. No, it's no wonder we pay hundreds of dollars for them in Sukkot, no? What is it? Looks like a lemon, you pay 80, 90, 100, 200 dollars. It's crazy. So what happened is they used to cut them to slices. So the Gemara said when, they, when he walked into the room, he didn't know the girls are there. They all looked at him. They were so shocked from his beauty, they cut their fingers off. They were cutting with a knife. And they looked at him, they were so shocked that some of them cut their fingers off. So the Gemara said that every handsome man that he dies, then it, his trial begins like, like, every, like every other person. The trial begins right away. The soul goes up to heaven, begins. One year trial. So Hashem asked the person, why didn't you learn Torah every day? So what is the answer going to be? It's your fault. You made me such a good-looking guy. 
Everywhere I go, women come to talk to me. They find excuses. They come, no, so how are you? So how's the weather? How do you feel? How's your mother? How's your grandmother? You know, story. They just want a reason to talk to me. And that took away all my time. So Hashem right away show him a movie of Yosef. How the women were screaming and he was running away from them instead of wasting time. So he said, you are more handsome than him? He said, no, I look like a monkey compared to him. He said, so he didn't waste time. He was, was busy with holy things. Right away, the handsome people would hide from the embarrassment. You know, sometimes a person may, may consider to be a chacham. Let's say you go to a place. Everybody holds of you of a chacham. chacham. What does a chacham mean? A high-level scholar in Torah, right? He knows a lot of Torah. So everyone respects him because him compared to the people is a much big difference. The people hardly know 1% of what he knows, so everyone looks up to him. What happened if one day a much bigger chacham come to town? What happened to the people? They say, eh, can't believe we admire this guy. This guy, compared to the Nuchacham, it's like comparing a monkey to a person. Up to now, he was also a person. Now he became a monkey. What made him look like a monkey? Somebody else came, and now they see the difference. It's not only in wisdom. It's also in beauty, in money, right? If a person is rich, I don't know, let's say he has uh, $5 million. Wow, everyone is poor here. They hardly pay the, the rent. And this guy has $5 million in his account. Ooh, what a rich guy. One day Donald Trump come, moved to the neighborhood. <laughs> what happened to this guy? They dump him from the window. Get out of here, you poor guy. <laughs> well, yesterday I was rich, today I'm poor. Yeah, we thought you're rich. Now we understand what wealth is. Get out of here. That's what it is. Everything in life is compared to what? It's uh, relative. It's all the pain. People ask you, are you chacham? Compared to who? Are you rich? Compared to who? Are you ugly? Compared to who? Everything, the answer will be yes, and the answer will be no. Somebody come to and say, are you a wise guy? You can answer yes, you can answer no, and both of them you don't lie. If you say yes, compared to the monkeys in a safari, I'm handsome. If you say no, Compared to all these nice-looking guys, you're really not. So it's all comparing. It's comparing to who? So that's one of the reasons, unfortunately, today. is one thing really gets me upset, sad, angry, frustrated, desperate, everything you want to call it, it's true. Is seeing people that are supposed to be holy, what we call today rabbis, Rabbis of communities, rabbis of organizations, rabbis of shuls, rabbis of yeshivas, doesn't matter. Don't get me wrong, not everyone is like this. But you see some big percentage of them will never let speakers from outside come to speak in their community. They'll, do, they'll use every trick every politic they can to avoid certain speakers to speak in their community. Why? Once he will speak once in their community, it will be the end of them over there. And they know it. Because then the people will say, we admire this guy. This is a complete fool compared to that speaker. How we admire this guy when there's so much better? Let's replace him. Let's get somebody much better. 
Now, you may say, well, so they have a point. They don't want to lose their job, no? They don't want to get fired. The answer is, if it's a job, fine. You have the right to try to protect your job, as, as legal as it may be. But when it comes to Torah, if you're a lover of Hashem, you don't do what's good for you. You do what's good for Hashem, what's good for the people. If you're a lover of Hashem, now it may look that right now you're losing. Maybe you got fired, maybe this, maybe that. But if you're going to have patience, guarantee, it's not maybe, it's not 99%, it's not even 99.9%. Guarantee that it's just a matter of time until you cash big time on your reward. Big time. I'm giving you, I'm telling you 100%. I know a guy, I don't want to start saying names, I don't want to insult anyone, but he's a, he's a working man. He's not a big chacham, he's not a big talmid chacham. He's a religious person, probably more than 20 years Baal Tshuva. And he, from the minute I met this person, I liked him very much, even though we hardly have any personal relationship. We hardly have anything, in, I mean, we don't do anything personal. If ever we speak, it's about Tshuva and lectures and CDs and things like this. But the way I like him, more than the average others, is because I saw that this person, he has pure heart. Everything he tries to do is really for the sake of heaven. I know one man like this, and I know one woman like this. And all the others, I have a big question mark in my heart about them. If they're really Lashem Shamaim or not, only Hashem knows. But those two, I'm willing to swear that they're 100% pure. And this person, even though he's such a pure person and he's tried everything to do Lashem Shamaim, any kind of help you'll ask him, if it's for the sake of heaven, right away he will volunteer. Even if it costs him money, even if it takes hours of his time, even if he has to struggle a lot for it. it he looks at that, I'm doing now for, for my father in heaven, and it doesn't matter. He will help you organize, he will help you. Anything you can, anything you can think of, he will help you. However, when he needs help, all these, I don't want to say fakers, those who have double face, politicians, not only they don't help him, they put a stick in his wheel. He come and do something, I don't know what is it, jealousy, competition, money, I don't really know, it's not always the same answers. Instead of running to help him, which he does everything for the sake of heaven, they try to prevent him from progressing. So today we had a conversation, and I told him, I want to ask you a question. You know, you and I know each other for many years. And you know that I hold very highly of you. And Baruch Hashem, we get along very well. I want to ask you a question. Look, how much you achieved in the last three years? How many thousands of people you reached without money, without budget, with all these fakers trying to prevent you from succeeding? How much you did? Don't you see that no matter what they're going to do, whether they help, whether they're going to go against you, in the end, Hashem is the one who does everything. Don't you see? Think about it. What was your chance three years ago to succeed with all these difficulties that you supposedly have? And look what you do. 
And where are all these fakers? Where are they? They're nothing. They only make noise. They're good with fundraising. They're good with making noise. How much they really do? I'm telling you, the world is very dirty place. Once in a while you find people that, are, that have a clean heart. They come for free. They don't charge. They're willing to get money out of their pocket to do the mitzvah. They put as much time. They respect every person equally, whether it's a Jew, whether it's a smart Jew, whether it's a foolish Jew, whether it's a wealthy one, whether it's a poor one, whether it's a goy, whether it's a beginner, whether it's the chief rabbi. You know, they'll give you their private number. They'll tell you, call you anytime. When you need help, they're going to call you back. You know, this is a servant of Hashem. All the other ones, just go be the prime minister. Go, go be in the Knesset, sit over there, have a driver, have a, five helpers, and, pre and pretend that you do something. But in, Hashem, in the end, he knows who really does for him and who does for his pocket, and who does for his honor, and who does for his fame, etc., etc. You know, there was one speaker, I don't want to go, like I said, I'm not giving you names so you won't know who I'm talking about, but there was one speaker who didn't allow his lecture to be downloaded. Barely, barely is allowed to post them in the internet. Why? He knew he has no control. People would do it one way or the other. So he, he made a, a compromise. He said, okay, to listen I allowed, but to download they have to pay me for it. Baruch So I heard the open radio station. And the radio station is mainly to make Baalei Tshuva, to teach people Torah. So in between, they play religious music, and they do a lot of great lectures. And uh, one of the people who works in the radio station is a friend of mine. We also did some things together in the past. He calls me up, and he said, do you know that specific speaker? I say, yeah, I know. I mean, I don't know him that close, but, you know, we, we know each other. Yeah, what's the problem? He say he doesn't give us permission to play the thing on the radio because we have to download, and he doesn't allow downloading. We're not going to start paying for every lecture we want to pull. We are we're just beginning. We don't have a budget. And we have some demands for some of his lectures. Maybe you can talk to him. I called him up, and he started to avoid me on the phone. Eh, well, you know, you have to understand, I put a lot of time, this and that. Until I didn't really become strict with him on the phone, he didn't agree. Then when I started to tell him, you know, in a way, in a nice way, you should be ashamed of yourself. What are you doing? You want to make a few hundred dollars? That's what you came for the world for, to make a few hundred dollars a week from your lectures? Don't you understand that one Jew will hear your lecture for free? It's already worth a billion dollars. You worry about hundreds here, hundreds there. I told him, they are giving you an opportunity to display your lecture in front of thousands of listeners on air and the internet could become one day millions. You know, there's so many people who are going to listen. You worry if they're going to pay you a few dollars for every day. What, what is this? He got, believe me, he got so embarrassed from me. I don't know if he did it because he realized that I'm saying the truth or he just got embarrassed from me. One way or the other, he agreed in the end. And guess what? He agreed. And today I found out that he already have a weekly show, live show, and he love it. And he wants now, if he could, he wants to do a daily show. And oh, he opened it up, he made him famous. Imagine how much he would lose. Yeah, he would make two, three thousand dollars, let's say. 
if he would stick to what he wanted. You compare this to this. You have an opportunity that instead of a, a thousand people that knows who you are, now it's going to become 10,000 in a month. And the next month will come 20,000. And the next month, 50,000. And, and, and you, know, you understand what's going on here or no? I always wonder who should pay who what. You know, every time they play your song on the radio, you get money. Really, technically, it should have been the other way around. Oh, you're doing me a favor. You play my music. Why did I make this music? I wanted people to enjoy how to, to see my talent, right? So it all depends who you are. If you're a beginner, you beg the radio to play your music. You even pay if you have to, right? It's like advertisement. Later, they beg you to play your songs. That's how it is, like everything else in life. So let's move on. So the Gemara says four people are considered like... Dead people, no offense, I'm only reading what the Torah say. Don't ever think that I mix my opinion here. I just read to you word by word. This is Gemara in Masechet Nedarim. Four people are considered dead. What does it mean dead? Their options to achieve things is very limited. One, a very poor person. Poor person, doesn't have any, any money, nothing. Why is considered dead? Does Hashem love him less than he loved the rich? Of course not. Who gave the rich person money? Hashem. Hashem gave you money and he didn't give him. Now he's going to like you more. For what? For what he gave you? It's not realistic. But why poor people consider in a Gemara that they helpless? Because even ordinary mitzvot... It's impossible for them to keep. He wants to give tzedakah. He wants to buy a book to learn Torah. He doesn't have money. He wants to eat glad kosher meal. It costs double than uh, another meal. He cannot afford. He wants uh, to donate to something. He can't. He wants to fill in. He can't. One day as his son is bar mitzvah, he doesn't have. So what's happening? He has to go and beg people to give him. Now when people donate, I wish they would give what they take for themselves. But that's not the case. When they give you tefillin, they'll give you barely kosher, if it is. Sometimes it's not even kosher. And if it's kosher, the lowest level. Why? When he wants to donate tefillin, he calls up the place and says, give me the cheapest one you have. The worst quality, the writing is not pretty, doesn't matter. As long as you can call it kosher. And what does he do? He gives it out. A hero is someone who gives other exactly what he would want for him or for his son. No difference. You understand? So, it's a very big Yetzirah. Of course, you know, this is big Yetzirah. But the idea is that poor people are very limited. And because it hits their heart all the time, you look at me, I can't even do this. I can't even buy normal tefillin. I can't even pay this tutor to teach me Torah. I can't, even do, I can't even put my son in a good yeshiva because I don't have the money. I can't even get married because, I, you know, I mean, whatever, all kinds of things. Then their life is so bitter that it's considered like being dead. You understand? It's considered. Of course, they'll get re a huge reward for all the suffering they go through. Don't get me wrong. Believe me, they will earn sometimes more than the millionaires because of the frustration that they live with. Because every pain that a person gets for the sake of mitzvah, he gets paid for it. You just don't see it right away, but it's guaranteed, it's going, it's been wired to your account daily. 
When you go to Olam Abba, you see how much suffering you had and how much you're getting for it. Oh, you'll be a very happy person. And everybody will say to Hashem, in that case, why you were so merciful to me? Why didn't you increase the suffering? If I see that I make so much, I wish you would give me much more. Anyway, it mo- it, it's over like a blink of the eye. What, 70 years? Before I realized my life was over. What's the second thing? Metzora. Someone who has leprosy. They isolate him. Today it's not such a common thing. But in the old days, people who spoke Lashonara, a few minutes later, their whole body has leprosy, skin, like, like skin disease. They have to isolate them for a week, then they shave their hair, and they have to sacrifice, and the dove, and this, and the blood, and the coin has to say if they're pure or not pure. Ooh, ah. That's uh, it. That's, uh, there's nothing they can do. They cannot participate with the community, nothing. So somebody like this, obviously, is considered like dead. A blind person, Suma, all his life is one picture, black. He doesn't see anything else. No colors, no images, no, sh- no faces, no words of Torah, cannot look at Torah. All his life is in the darkness. That's considered like a dead person. It's full of frustration. And the last one, someone who doesn't have children. And in case you are wondering if it's true or not, I, I will only list, let you listen to 2% of the, of the bitterness that I hear when people call me to, to say about their situation when they don't have kids, what are they going through, how much they suffer, how much they try, and they go to treatment, and it's painful, and there's so many things, they have to fly, it costs fortune to try to have a kid. You have no idea what's going on. It's like, it's, there's no words to really describe this kind of suffering. So since they always live with the feeling, look at me, Hashem, like Avraham Avinu, Avraham Avinu is a good example. Even Avraham the Tzaddik, one time in his life, he dared to complain to Hashem. Not about money, not about Ishmael, not about anyone. What did he complain about, Hashem? I don't have kids. I'm going to die soon. I'm 99. And I, and I still don't have kids. He was 98 then. Then a year later, he had a boy. And this servant of mine, Eliezer, is going to inherit everything I have? I could, you couldn't give me one to live one... Uh, to continue my name after him. So you see that even Abraham Avinu, it bothers him, which was the ultimate believer in God, right? The monotheism, it's all thanks to Abraham all over the world. And he suffered a lot, didn't have a son. Why? Because he knew Ishmael is not his son, because his mother is a Goya. If you have a kid with a Goya, with a non-Jew, the kid is a Goy. It's not your son. It's not, he cannot inherit you in Olam Abba. It's not your continuation. You pay $100,000 for his college, you bought him a home, you put him into business, you paid for his surgeries, you did who knows what, and in the end you come to Shammai and you say, where is my son? Wait, wait, where are you taking me? Where is my son? I say, which son? My son. Don't know any son. Well, what do you mean? His name is Yitzchak. Yosef. What, Yosef? We don't know any son. What do you mean, Ma? My son, the judge in the court. I, I, Two million dollars I put in his education. What are you talking about? We don't know any son of yours. You don't have any son. You're not married. What do you mean? My wife, Christine, 
30 years. Yeah, we divorced already, but fine. We don't know. You don't have a wife. You don't have a children. So, someone who doesn't have children, no? Ani, now the, now the Gemara brings the sources. Why these four? Because these four have sources in the Torah. Kimetu kol anashim. Hashem said to Moshe, you can go back to Egypt. All the people who wants to kill you died. But it's not true. Some of them were alive. But they lost all their money. Ah, they cannot arm you. They don't have money. If you have a person who comes to attack you and you know he's a multimillionaire, you know he has money, he has connection, he may be able to make you some damage, maybe. If a person is homeless and he threatens you that, that he's going to take actions against you, he's worried about the next uh, lunch, if he's going to have or not. He has time to go and, and bribe people to go after you. He's not a threat. It's very simple. Then, then Metzora, leprosy, Shenemar, it's Bamidbar. It says like this, Alna teika met. Don't be like a dead, which talking about Metzora over there. Suma, it's a blind person. Dichtiv, Echa. This is an Echa. We read Echa in Tisha Be'av. Megillat Echa. It's a part from the Tanakh. What does it say over there? Echa Gimel, Echa 3. You put me in a darkness, I cannot see with all the dead people. It's like I'm dead, like them, I'm in their group. It's a comparison between blind and dead. They're all in one group. Someone who doesn't have kids, that Rachel came to Yaakov and say, what's with you? Have libanim, give me kids, give me children. And if you don't, I'm dead. And Yaakov got angry at her. He said, well, I'm God? You're coming to me for children? I can give you children? <laughs> That's one of the proofs that I use against all these fake babot. Give me half a million dollars, in two months your daughter will be pregnant. Don't worry. We have a way, we do this, we do this. This Baba is not the finger dirt of Yaakov Avinu. Everybody agree, right? Even ask him, he will agree. That if he's lucky, maybe it's the dirt of his nail. You know, the little dirt that Yaakov Avinu has? You can take this Baba, maybe they're in the same level. Yaakov Avinu, Hashem speaks to him. Hashem told him, I'll protect you, I love you, your name will be Israel. I don't have to tell more, no? Yaakov said to Rachel, what do you ask from me? I cannot give you children. But all this Babot, give me half a million, two months, you're going to see I have twins. If you make it a million, triplets. What do you like them, blonde or black hair? <laughs> and then later, you call, Rabbi, you promised me a kid. Who, who are you? Remind me your name. That's in the first time. Second time, please leave a message. 500 times. Please leave a message, 501. Oh, one day somebody picks up the phone. Yeah, no, it's busy now. Call back next month. What about my half a million? There's no kids. Why it happens to people? They deserve it. Why they deserve it? Because they are foolish. They don't have that. The Gemara says someone who is a fool, don't have mercy on him. Why? If he wanted, he wouldn't be a fool. If he used his head, Hashem gave everyone heads. 
But if they will work on it, on their intelligence, they wouldn't be foolish. If they would think a little bit, they'll know that you cannot replace God with people. When you think the people will save you, Hashem say, you know what? I'll put you in the hand of this crook. You'll see what he's going to do to you. You understand? But if you trust me, I will send you the right rabbis that will give you bracha, and thanks to them, you'll have kids. But if you trust them, let them give you kids. Let them give you kids. No problem. All right, so let's go on. The Gemara continue. Le'olam Amarav. Now we moved into Masechet Nazir. Very short things, and we move right away to Masechet Sota. Nazir, only one thing. What is it? Amarav. Rav says, Le'olam ya'asok adam b'Torah u'b'mitzvot afilu shelo lishma. A person that have difficulties learning Torah. Lazy, his brain is rusty, his back is killing him, his wife is sucking his blood. Where are you? It's already seven. Dinner is served. I want to go learn Torah again? You promised to give me attention. She doesn't let him breathe, you know. You promised to take me to ice cream today. You promised to take me to <laughs> pizza, to Chinese. It's my, my friend's cousin's birthday today. <laughs> you know, where is he going to learn? And then after 15 years, they marry. She called Rabbi, I'm very disappointed for my husband. Why? You know, it seems to me that after 15 years, he goes to shul, he learns, he puts tefillin. He even say bracha when he eats, but he's a complete moron. He doesn't know anything. You know, the kid asks him a question from the parasha. He doesn't know what Rashi says, nothing. And she complains about him when she is 100% guilty of this situation. It's all her fault. And who she blames him. And the poor guy, he was soft. He surrendered to her strong character. And he replaced her with Hashem. She became his Hashem. Remember the Gemara that I read to you two, three months ago here? Someone who's, there's another person whose life is no life. What? Someone that his wife controls him. Yes, yes. Yeah, remember that? But don't get me wrong. I don't want the men to go back now to their wives and say, didn't you hear the rabbi? Leave me alone. You don't need your wife to control you and to do. You have to do the right things, and then she would leave you alone. You have to understand. If a person wants to see his level, you have to look how his wife behaves to him. She's like the mirror. You move your arm, she moves her arm. You do something, she does the same thing. She rebels against you, that means Hashem is not happy from you. Why? The Gemara promise. When Hashem is satisfied from the way of a person, even his enemies surrender to him. The Gemara asks, who are those enemies? Who? Two answers. First answer, all the mosquitoes, all the flies who come and sting you and, and take away blood from you, they don't touch you. Why? Hashem is satisfied from you. Even a mosquito bite, you don't get. Why? Hashem is 100% pleased from you. When a mosquito comes all the way to you, Hashem goes like this. And he goes to the other wicked person and he takes blood from him. Why he didn't land on you? 
because Hashem is 100% satisfied for you. Nobody can harm you. If a mosquito cannot touch you, no one else can do it. It's needless to say. They give you the smallest damage that can happen, and, and it doesn't happen. Then the Gemara gives another answer. Who is the enemies of the person, his wife and his children? People are killing themselves to have kids. Then the kids come and beat them up and take away the car. <laughs> Sit here, don't call. You touch me, I'll call the police. You're not going to tell me what to do, old man. Right? Right or wrong? Then you come to search for your son, 2 o'clock at night in the park, with all the gang. And then you call him 500 times, ignore, ignore. Ignore. After you raised him 16, 17 years, what does he do to you? The Gemara knew what they talk about, no? But it's a little bit deeper than this. When you are righteous, of course they're not your enemies. When you are not clean, Hashem pays you measure for measure. You are my son, and you're making me very upset with the way you behave. Prayers are not prayers. Shabbat is not Shabbat. Learning Torah is not learning Torah. Honesty in a business is not honesty. Ah, so you are making me suffer, Hashem says, looking at my children, how they behave, how they betrayed me. Your kids does the same thing to you. All measure for measure. Ah, but when I'm happy from you, even if your son is Esav, he kiss your feet. See, remember, Esav was wicked, no? But Esav respect Yitzhak better than any person in history. Imagine, your son is the head of the mafia. The head of the mafia. But he respects you like you are God. What a contradiction. How can it be? This is a criminal. A gangster doesn't go together with a rabbi. The father is Yitzhak. The son is Esav, a hunter and a murderer and an idol worshiper. And raping girls. That's what the Gemara says about him. But with Yitzchak, nobody in history respected his father like Esav respected Isaac, Yitzchak. What a contradiction. Why Yitzchak didn't deserve to suffer from his son. You got the point here? But we suffer because either we didn't give them the necessary attention, we don't pray for them. The more you pray for your children, you show Hashem that you care about them. So when Hashem sees that you care, He has mercy on you. But if you don't care, you only care about your friends and your playing cards and vacations and where you're going to be in Pesach. Your son has problem, yalla, two there. Two thousand a month, I have money, let, let the tutor take care of him. What else does he need? He needs attention, get him a nanny. What else does he need? He needs this, get him, a, send him to judo, karate. What else does he need? You know? He needs a father. What do you mean? Send him here, get him this, do this for him, do this. As long as he doesn't have to do anything. Everybody does, does it. Go to your mother. Why you come to me? Ah, that's what's going on here. No, so the Gemara say, if a person learns Torah, not for the sake of heaven. Rabbi, it's boring. All day I'm playing Game Boys. Now I have to, to think, to break my head, the Gemara, this opinion, that opinion, contradiction, that. It's not for me, Rabbi. All my life I was playing in the, in the backyard of the school. 
Game Boy, or I was watching movie on my uh, iPhone, whatever. Now you want me to learn, Abaye, Rava, Rabbi Akiva says, nah, who cares what they say? <laughs> I remember I had one businessman, I was making him religious. So I, tr I was trying to, I, I know he, he knows a lot about business, about companies. He has a head, this guy. I used to meet with him once a week to learn an hour before my lecture, one-on-one. -on -one. And then when we used to learn Gemara, I bring him this opinion, that opinion. He said, you know what, from next time, why don't you just tell me the bottom line? I'm not interested to know how they reach that verdict. I just, I just want to know what needs to be done, that's it. Why do people have to learn how they reach this halacha, they reach this halacha, this opinion, that opinion? We know, I don't need all this. Just tell me the last thing. What's the, what's the right way? This? Fine, no problem. <laughs> I told you, you don't understand. This is what Hashem wants you. Hashem wants you to dig and go inside this Torah and this wonderful world and, and, and expose more and more and more things. And it's the brilliance of, the, of, of this divine thing, what we call Hashem. And you want only to know the bottom line? You're not interested? Why is it? Television, sports, women, vacations, watches, new car every two months, internet. Now you wonder why he doesn't want to learn. No, of course. So, the Gemara says, because if he learn not for the sake of heaven, after a while, slowly, slowly, it becomes for the sake of heaven. What is it like? A person doesn't like to eat something. Take a vegetarian person. I don't want meat. No, no, it's disgusting. No, no meat. No meat. What happens if you force him to eat a good steak once? Maybe in the first time he vomits. Second time, a little more. Second time, after 10, 20, 30 times, you know that steak is not so bad after all. What happened? After the actions, the Torah says, follows the hearts. Every time you suffer a little more until you get used to it and then there's a breaking point. From now on you begin to enjoy. Eh, I couldn't stand that. Now it became my favorite food. You know, I have a friend, vegetarian. Every time he comes to me, I try to fool him and sneak some food, meat, into his, into his salad, something. And then after he eats it, I see it was delicious. How was the salad? Wow, great. So you see, he just ate meat. No, don't tell me that. So it's all in your head. It's all in your head. It's Yom Tov. You have to eat meat today. So far, I'm not successful because he comes once in a while. And if we will be steady, after two, three weeks, say, you know what? Every time I come here, I eat meat. It's not so bad after all. A Jew has to eat meat, at least on Shabbat and on Yom Tov. Really? Because when I learned it years ago, yeah. I was told that a, a vegetarian, if somebody really does not enjoy meat, that they don't have to eat meat. True. If a person suffers from it, then it's not Simchat Yom Tov. But the ultimate way, what is it? The Allah say, En Simcha, Ela Bebasar Veyain. There is no happiness to the spirit of a person unless if he eats good meat and drink good wine. The French knows it. The Italians know it. The Americans now know it. Right? The Jews always knew it. They know what they're doing. 
Ah, once in a while you have someone like this, fine. Well, in China they eat worms from a cup. You know, they enjoy worms. You know, they take the worms are still alive. They move like this in a cup. They grab it. They open their mouth in the middle of the ocean. In, a, in the middle of the ocean. In the middle of the market, somebody comes with a bicycle. Whoop, begin to eat the worms. If you only see how they enjoy it, better than the way the guys lick the sushi here on Main Street. <laughs> Yemenite used to eat grasshoppers, not all of them, one kind. They know by looking at the stomach and the signs, they have it in tradition. You see, if you pay attention, all the Yemenite food is very cheap food. It's all based on flour and water. Why? It was very difficult to make expensive food in Yemen because it was a very poor country. So all their food is jachnun, oldo. Melawach, oldo. Fatut, oldo. And grasshoppers, free of charge. How does grasshoppers taste? You fry it with a little oil, exactly like french fries. How do I know? Not that I tasted. Don't suspect me. I spoke to some Yemenite that came from Yemen a few years ago, and they said that it tastes exactly like french fries. You fry it in a pan. The only problem that you have is those two in the, in the top like this. Can't even believe it. All right, anyway, let's move on. The Gemara says like this. If you do not for the sake of heaven, it's better not to do at all. It's better than not doing at all, right? So it's better to do 50% than nothing. Okay. Then eventually become for the sake of heaven. Why? 42 sacrifices that Balak, Balak, who was Balak? the king of Moab, right? He called Bilam to curse the Jews, to help him out. He was the prophet of the Goim. How many sacrifices he sacrificed to Hashem to help him hurt his children? I don't know how these Goim sometimes think. Balak is sacrificing 42 sacrifices to who? To Hashem. For what? To help him go against Hashem's children. Imagine someone comes to me, Rabbi, I'll give you 42 bucks. I want you to help me go destroy your son. <laughs> no, that's what they do. The same, the Arabs, who do they pray to destroy the Jews? To the same God. What's Allah? The same Allah Akbar. God is great. Same God. God of Abraham. Where they heard about God? In the Torah. If the Torah wouldn't give it to the Jews, the Arab wouldn't know this God in heaven. They learn it from us. Same thing Christian. Christians made him a partner. You know? Anyway, let's move on. So the 42 sacrifices that he sacrificed to Hashem, this King Balak, in the end, it helped him. Why? Ruth, the grandmother of King David, came from him. Ruth, a Moaviah, from the, from the nation of Moab. So somehow, he is a grandfather of the grandmother of King David, of the founder of the Messiah. That comes from root, from King David. Messiah, Messiah, son of David, right? And who is his grandmother? Ruth. And who is her grandfather? This Balak. What mitzvah he did that after all his descendants one day will become the Messiah. 42 sacrifices to Hashem. 
but it wasn't for the sake of heaven. He wanted to gain a personal gain. He didn't do it for Hashem. He wanted Hashem to allow him to win the Jews in a war. He didn't do it for the mitzvah. He did it for bad reason. If for bad reason it benefited him, it's needless to say when you do it for the sake of heaven, how much reward you're going to get. You got the point here? Very interesting. Then the Gemara continued, the Amar Rabbi Yossi Bar Hanina, who was Ruth? Granddaughter of Eglon. Who is Eglon? King of Moab. No. Amar Rabbi Chia Bar Amar Rabbi Yochanan, how do we know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu reward people even for a positive conversation, not actions? Just a positive conversation. Ah, I love Hashem. Ishtabach Shemo. Bless God. God is great. No, what did he say? Just for that, he gets a huge reward. What is it? Well, how do we know? That Lot, who is Lot? The nephew of Avraham Avinu. Lot, after Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, he got saved with his two daughters. His wife turned around, she looked at Sodom, she became pillar of eye, of salt. Right? So now Lot and his two daughters survive. It looked like after a nuclear attack. Imagine you have a nuclear attack. Three people survive in Nagasaki or Hiroshima. No internet, no telephone, no television, no newspaper, nothing. After a, a nuclear attack, there's nothing. You left somewhere in the middle of the desert. What are you thinking? The world came to an end. They do not know that it's only in a limited area. For them, the whole world is destroyed. Who left? Me and my two daughters, Lot and his two daughters. So now the daughter said, we better have kids from our father. Because once we die, there are not going to be people. Now remember, this was before the Torah was given. Even though the Gentiles already knew from 4,200 years ago they're not allowed to have relation with their relatives. That's what God said to Noah after the flood. And Moab and all this is like 900 years after. So everybody knew. But now it was for the sake of heaven. If we're not going to do it, the world is over. So they meant for the sake of heaven. But listen good. The first one called the baby that was born Moab. What Moab means? From my father. That's what it means. Av, it's a father. Me, it's from. Me, Av, Moab. That's it. So everybody who come and say, what's your name, little boy? Moab. Oh, you came from your, ma- your mother and your, f- and your father is father and daughter? By the name, people know about the, 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 the forbidden relation. The second one didn't call him Moab or anything Av. She called him Amon. Amon means Am. It's somebody from my nation. It's also not so great, but at least it's not every, not, nobody knows it's from a, a Giluy Arayot, right? So she said, Amon from Ami. It's among us. He came to the world from, from the big family of Amon. Now the Gemara says, Hashem said to Moshe, Dudurana me too. 
Don't disturb the nation of Moab and don't start a war with them. So the Gemara say, war you don't have permission to do, but to upset them you're allowed, which means to give them hard time you have permission, but to start a real war you don't have permission. But in the nation of Ammon, that's the second daughter that call it for my nation, not for my father. Hashem said to Moshe, don't ambush them, don't disturb them, don't do anything to them, not even sorrow. Why? What's the difference? This is going, this is going. They're both enemies. Why hear it like this? Discrimination. Why look at the conversation of the mothers? One say, I will call my son Moab for my father. And one say, no, it's not modest. I'll call him for my nation. That's all. What's the difference? Yeah, come on. What's the difference? The difference is that thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, I don't know, a massive amount of people, it's a whole nation, did not suffer for one extra word of the mother. Now you understand the power of speech or no? For one extra word of the mother, the whole nation going to have our time. Why? Not so much modesty. Not, not enough modesty. Over here it's more modest, no suffering for you. That's amazing. Amazing how precise is the judgment of Hashem. And there are people walking out there, they, ah, Hashem, what's going on? Nothing happened. No, the Gemara continue. Rabbi Omer, why we read the chapter of a monk, of a Nazir, right next to a woman who cheated on her husband? It's similar, it's, it's, it's close in the Torah. One right after the other, why? To teach you, every time there are two subjects close one to each other in the Torah, there is a connection between them. It's not a coincidence. What is it? Everyone who sees a woman that is cheating and doing bad things with their relationship with her husband, right away will make a vow not to touch wine anymore. What's the reason that women cheat on their husband? They're going to have a glass of wine with friends from high school. Glass of wine, we call it. The wine begins, then her head starting to go somewhere else. The next thing, she has a mamzer. You understand? Why is it? So that's why when, when you saw it, why did I have to see this married woman who cheated on her husband? Why did I have to see it? That means Hashem is sending me a message. What is it? Where in the Torah, one next to the other. Wine, the, the Nazir cannot touch wine, not drink wine, cannot eat grapes, cannot eat raisin, anything to do with the grape tree, he cannot touch. That's a part of it. And then they don't cut their hair, whatever. But that's called Nazir. And right next to it, a woman who cheated on her husband and he had to take her to the Kohen. They write the name of Hashem, 72 letters on a cloth like a mezuzah. He puts it in the water, the ink goes in, the woman drinks it. If she cheated, her wounds explode. If she didn't, the Kohen gives her a blessing that all her children will be righteous. This is how it used to be. Then the Gemara continues, the Gemara says, Rish Lakish says, in Masechet Sota, we're starting now Masechet Sota. 
אין מזווגים לו לאדם אישה אלא לפי מעשיו. A person gets a wife according to his spiritual level. If your level will be higher, your wife will be better. If your level will be lower, your wife will be worse than what you have. Why your wife is like this? She is 60% because you are 60%. It can be 62, 59, same league. It cannot be exactly the same thing. No, no two people are 100% equal. It's always going to be a change. But in the same league, when you take uh, basketball uh, teams, by looking at their level, you know in which league to put them right away. You know, yeah, one team is better than the other, but they belong in the same league. Same thing here. The Gemara continues. The Gemara says, Amar Rabbi Rabbi Barbarchana, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, it's hard to make a matchmaking, two soulmates together, like splitting the ocean in the exodus of Egypt. That's how difficult it is for Hashem. Why is it? The Gemara asks, How can it be? Rabbi, Yochan, Rabbi Yehuda says in the name of Rav, there's a contradiction here. Don't we know that 40 days before the baby become a person, 40 days it takes for a person from the night the husband and the wife were together, after 40 days it becomes a boy or a girl and it becomes a complete person. 40 days. If a person made an abortion, a woman made an abortion in the first 40 days, or after 40 days, there's a big difference. None of them is permitted. None. But after 40 days is a complete murder. Before 40 days, it wasn't a complete murder. And the, lev the level of the sin is much lower. Why? Because there was no human being. Of course, you're stopping a process Of, of, of someone who is developing into a, new, a human being, but once he did not have the soul yet, and did not have the pulse and the brain and the intelligence, what makes a person a person, it was just a, like a, a bunch of meat. There was nothing yet. It's like a few crumbs there. So over there is not as bad. In rare occasions, like such as rape and all kinds of things like this, Uh, or if there's risk, or, or health, or anything like this, they may even get permission to make it legal up to 40 days. After 40 days, it's a murder. It's no, it's no, no a woman that makes an, most abortions, unfortunately, by the time a woman finds out she's pregnant, she has to be at least a month. Why? Because until she realizes, sometimes she may have two or three days before the 40 days that she realizes. And if she doesn't do it then, then after that is a complete murder according to all opinions. Most women, by the time they find out, because they wait a week to see, because sometimes they have, you know, delay. They wait, wait, wait. By the time they know for sure they're pregnant, after the blood test and everything, it's more than 40 days. That's why 99.9% of the abortions in the world are complete murders. Jews are not allowed to commit an abortion What about Gentiles? Also not allowed. What happened if a Jew had relation with a non-Jewish woman and the kid is not a Jew? There is no permission whatsoever to perform an abortion. Nowhere in a history God gave permission to Jews to murder non-Jews. Unless if they come to attack you because they want to destroy you. Everyone has permission to destroy his destroyer first. 
nothing to do with Jew, non-Jew, even between two Gentiles. He comes to kill me, like in Texas. You go into someone's property at 2 o'clock at night, he sees you walking in his backyard, he takes a gun and shoots you, and he's completely innocent. Not even a trial. Why? You were found dead on his own property. It almost happened to my friend. He used to work in movings, and they arrived all the way to Texas in the middle of the night, these big ranches over there. And they went to, there's no addresses like here, one next to the other. It's not so crowded over there. And they came to the wrong house with a big semi-trailer full of furniture. When did they arrive? One o'clock at night. And my genius friend didn't know Texas. And he knocked on the door. And a red, redneck man opened up the door with a machine gun to his face. <laughs> like this. And my friend said, don't shoot. I'm a mover, mover, moving. Who are you looking for? He got saved. What happened if we shoot? He would say to the police, he came to attack me. He's in my property, one o'clock at night. It's legal. It's legal to have weapon over there. Even in Arizona, everyone goes with a gun. When I go there, all the people who buy and sell gold, they have guns. They just don't have permission to show the gun. It has to be covered like a bottle of beer. You want to drink beer, fine, but make sure it's in a bag. That's similar to the abortions. When it's covered with a stomach, flesh, it's permitted to murder. Once it comes out, no permission to murder. Hey, women's vote. If their life is, is measured, because they, they still perform the abortion. From what law it comes? If the life of a woman is in danger, then it's considered that the baby is coming after her to kill her. He becomes an immediate threat to her life. Everyone who becomes a threat to our life, we have permission to kill him first. Why? Because if not, he's going to kill us. However, if his head came out, even partially, and even though there is still a risk once we pull him out that the wife will die, once his head came out, there's no permission to kill him, even if the, the life of the, of the wife is still in risk. Why? Because we have no permission to kill one person to save the other. Once he came out, that's it, it's considered born. But as long as he's inside, it's considered an integral part, like an organ in a woman's body. An organ that is about to kill a, man, a woman, like a kidney. Let's say a kidney has cancer in it. If you don't remove the kidney in two weeks, the woman will be dead, because it's expense to all, the, to all the body. So what's the solution right now to get the kidney out? You know, I'll tell you a story that happened in Israel two or three years ago. Fresh, not a long time ago. One uh, woman had, uh, they had, she had problem with her kidneys. One of them wasn't working. And in the surgery, they had to remove it. And guess what? They removed the, the healthy, the healthy kidney. The wrong kidney, they removed. Yeah. Then... After they removed the wrong one, the doctor said, well, what did we do? We made a mistake. <laughs> now she has one kidney left, which is, it needs dialysis. Dialysis, what do you call it? Dialysa. Dialysis, yeah. As they took it out, they're thinking now to transplant it back in. You know, because now, yes, yeah, so the question is, they, try, they have to make it, it's already out, so they do a regular check. They found that the kidney that they took out was full of cancer. Nobody knew that she has cancer. 
Hashem confused the doctors and they removed the other kidney. If they would remove this one, two weeks later she'll be dead anyway, because now she has one kidney, is full of cancer. So now she sued the doctor for $150,000 for malpractice. And the doctor came and said, look at the nerve of this woman. I saved her life and she came after me. What do you think the verdict was? Now I'm not going to tell you. I want you to make homework until the next lecture. The doctor came to take one kidney and he made a mistake and took the wrong one out. Later they found out that retroactively really saved their life. Right? He, may, he made a stupid mistake, malpractice. But thanks to that, now she got her life back. You understand? So now, let me give you the options. One option is not guilty at all. He doesn't have to give her any money. Second option, she has to give him money. Third option, he has to give her 150000 what she wants. No, no, forget insurance. We are talking in Bedin, in Jewish Bedin. Jewish Bedin. It's really in Bedin. It was in, Jewish, in Israel. It happened in Israel. Third, fourth thing, fourth thing is, he has to give her a partial payment. Partial payment. Or none of the above. So you have five options. Let's see which one is the right answer. Huh? I know Jews don't have patience. I say, next, next lecture, already everybody answered, two minutes later. You know, on the plane landing in Israel, a week before Christmas, <laughs> it was when Christmas and Hanukkah fell in the same week. So the pilot said, ladies and gentlemen, please stay seated. Do not untie your seatbelt until a complete parking of the plane. Then after two minutes, there were many people already standing, getting their things, turning their cell phone on, even though he said not to do so. So after two minutes, the captain comes and says, to those of you who are sitting in their places, have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> For those of you who are standing and turn their cell phone on, have a, have a Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Rabbi Lastri is the best is the funniest man. If you understand Hebrew, you can sit and laugh from morning to night from his shows that he gives in seminars. Rabbi Lassri, one of the jokes he says, I was in Mexico City. I needed to buy something, so I went to the supermarket. 25 people waiting online. So I say, how do I know which one of them is Israeli? <laughs> how do I know? He say, this is how it is. You come, you stand online, you look at all the people. The one who goes like this, you know is Israeli. Why? He's planning an attack. What excuse would I come with that I skip the whole line? Hey, excuse me, I have a plane to catch. It reminds me about a joke that there was a huge line to open a store. The owner of the store didn't come yet. So they're all waiting online. So one guy comes, he stands online, after a minute, he said, I can't stand here, let me go. So he starts to cheat. He goes all the way, he passed the whole line, he comes to the front. There was a very big guy in the front. He looks at him, hey, where are you? He took him, threw him all the way to the end of the line. This guy cleaned the dust. He comes all the way again. This time he gave him a punch. Boom, he made him fly all the way to the end of the line. 
Third thing he comes, so the big guy said, what, you want to get killed? What's the story with you? He said, listen, one more time you make me fly, I will not open my store today. <laughs> the owner of the store. All right, now let's move on. Time is running out. We have 15 minutes left, so... That's, that's a problem. Then it says like this. It says, the Gemara says, 40 days before the baby is created, there is an echo who announces who is going to marry who. So what are you saying now that based on how you behave, that's who is your wife going to be? It was already announced before I was born. Nothing to do with my actions. It's a contradiction, no? The Gemara asks. The answer is no kashya, no contradiction. Here is in the first match, here is in the second match. What's the first match, second match? The secret according to Kabbalah here, when Hashem created the world, He took the soul of Adam and split it to many different souls, right? More and more souls. Souls can continue to split unlimited. It's not like physical. You take one pound, you cut it in half, it's become two halves. You cut it again, it's four quarters. You cut it again, it's eight eight. No. Soul, you can cut as much as you want and it stays the same. It's not physical. It's an energy. It's like, like a candle. You take matches, a million matches from a candle. Did, did it take away the amount of the fire from the candle? It's still, still the same amount of fire. Even though you took a lot of fire, now it's fire all over the city from one candle. Doesn't matter, it didn't take away anything from the candle. So it's similar. The idea of spirituality is very similar to fire. So the, the idea here is when all the souls were brand new, they're all crystal clean, pure, no stains, no sins, no nothing. How does Hashem decide who is going to marry who? Soul A, Soul B, Soul C, D, E, F, G. Now he has to match them in the beginning. It's all a decree. Ah, like we say, Russian roulette. The wife, or, uh, the daughter of this to the, to, the, to the son of this. Why? They're all equal. Everyone is equal. Everyone can marry everyone. But Hashem knows how to make a perfect match because everyone is equal. After the second reincarnation, no one is equal anymore. You understand? Because you lived here 78 years. When you were created, you were clean completely. Then after one life, one guy's 50, one guy's 30, one guy's 20, one guy's 80. You don't put 80 and 30 together. He's a big rabbi and she's a, a, you know, a complete ignorant person. It doesn't go together. They won't have anything in common. Or this and that. So now after that, it depends who you are. Only in the beginning, there was this decree. That's why today, on every date that they offer you, you have to go. Why? How do you know? Maybe she's your soulmate. No, no, I don't want this nationality. And maybe Hashem wants you to marry this nationality. That's your soulmate. The stipler, the father of Rav Chaim Kanievsky, explained it even better. What did he say? He said, even today there is an announcement. There is an announcement. 
when Hashem decides that you're going to get married, when He decides that now it's the time for you to get married, He announced from the league that you're in, which league you're in, League A, all the women that are in that league, He announced she's going to be your soulmate. If you're in League C, which means you went higher, in a higher level, He announced in which league, which one is going to be your wife. You reach all the way to Z, you Moshe Rabbeinu, you find you Tzipora. She is in your league. You understand the idea here? So it's all, it doesn't eliminate your free choice. You still determine which one of the wives will be yours. Because you, based on your efforts, you elevated your soul or destroy your soul. One of the two. If you destroy your soul, you ended up with a wicked woman. Prutza. What does the Torah say? Now here is the time for me to emphasize one very important thing. The Torah says, Rashi, Rashi explained based on the, on the oral Torah, it says, A person gets his soulmate according to his actions. Rashi writes, Translation, a not modest woman to a, a modest woman to the righteous person and a not modest woman to the wicked person. I don't understand. A, a wicked man with a wicked woman. A righteous man with a righteous woman. That's not what the Torah says. A righteous man with a not, with a with a modest woman. A not righteous man with a prostitute. What do you see from here? That that's what woman is all about. You are modest, you're righteous. You're not modest, there's no chance for you to be righteous. Well, but I keep Shabbos. Very good. You sleep and snore on Shabbos, eat, take a walk in a boardwalk, and I'm righteous. Walking half naked on the street for 70 years with a million dollars wig, you know, I'm righteous. In your dream, you are righteous. In your dream, you are righteous, yes. How do you know if a woman is righteous? Not how she dresses in the house. In the house, she's not embarrassed from anyone. So she covers the head, she covers herself, because anyway, nobody sees her. In a wedding, that's their biggest yetzerara. I know women, they'll never wear a wig, only when they go on a wedding. Why? That's already too much for me. If a woman goes with her hair covered completely to a wedding or with a hat or anything, I'm not saying she has to be ugly. She can put a beautiful hat, no problem. But no hair comes out, then you know she's modest. Don't check in a house. Check in a fancy place. Everybody with their $5,000 wigs, and she, the same $2 cover, you know, tichel, whatever you call it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't think that in heaven or in hell they have discrimination between Sephardim and Ashkenazim. No. I also don't think that there are two different laws of modesty for, for Ashkenazi women or for Sephardi women. I think, and I promise you that I'm right, that modesty has nothing to do with the color of your skin or your accent or where you were born. It's either because the body of the woman and her hair is the same all over the world. 
If a woman is modest, it can be in every country. If the woman is not modest, she's not modest. She's going to come to Hashem. Hashem, but I was Ashkenazi. Yeah. I had permission to wear this wig <laughs> in your dream. No. Hey, you don't Lesson good, lesson good. I don't want to get into it because this is an argument between the biggest giant rabbis in the world. But I can only tell you, I can only tell you that the biggest Ashkenazi rabbi, among them the biggest posek in the world, Rav Vozner, and also Rav Eliashiv, is the top authority in the Ashkenazi world, are completely against Whigs. If you don't want, you don't believe, I'll show you the writings, how much they speak against it. You understand? So, some Ashkenazi ones apparently allow it, obviously. There's always somebody to depend on. But I, I tell you what it's like. What is it like? You want to invest a million dollars in a stock market. You have 300 experts that tell you, don't touch that stock, it's going to crash any moment. And there's two or three who say, no, that's a very good company. Oh, you know, it's no problem, there's no reason to panic. Do you know anyone who would put money in this company based on the world of three or six or seven when you have 300 world experts say, be careful, it's going to be a, t a total crash. When it comes to money, ah, Rabbi, uh, but, but there are four or five experts who say it's not such a bad company after all. I don't know, I don't want to hear about them. Why? There's such a big expert. That... Rabbi, when there's a doubt, a doubt is a fire. I'm running away from fire. But when it comes to weak, Ah, that rabbi allowed. This rabbi allowed. I want to tell you something. Rav Shlomo Zalman Oyerbach, Zecher Tzadik Livracha, was the top Ashkenazi posek 20, 30 years ago. Top. He, he said, when the first woman came to Yerushalayim with a wig, this was about 50 years ago. He's talking about 50 years ago. The first Ashkenazi women, because it was all Sfaradim, all Bukharian, Iraqi, Persians, all of a sudden Ashkenazi started to come also to Yerushalayim in waves. So he said, when the first woman came to Yerushalayim with the wig, they stood and threw stones at her, the people, and they started to scream to her, Pritzus, Prutza. And he said, Rav Royerbach, even a blind person saw that he's a wig. It didn't look like human hair like today. Say, so even if you were blind, you would see this is a, <laughs> it's a schmatt, a wig, doesn't worth two dollars. Like, like, like a wool of a sheep, you know, like covering your head like with a funny thing. Yeah, it wasn't hair like today. Five thousand dollars made in Italy with imported Indian Avodazara hair from India. No, it was real garbage. My mouth looked like a bush. Bush from wool, you know, wool, you know, like a sponge. That's how it looked. And they threw stones at her. Get out of here, we don't want. Two generations later, like this. You know, you know, I tell you something. Speaking about wigs, I didn't plan to speak about this controversial issue. Because I know women hate to talk about it. The truth hurts to everyone, not only to women. When men hear about his problem, you also feel bad. Speak about smoking in front of smokers, see how they get angry. <laughs> All the non-smoker is right. Yes, it's a sin meal from the Torah. What the Torah says, you have to watch your health. And all the smokers, no, he didn't understand. That's not what he meant. Why? Why nobody can be objective? You have to say, you're right. 
I'm a smoker and I'm a loser because this cigarette runs my life. And you're right. If you say in the name of this rabbi that it's a sin from the Torah, you are right. And I hope that one day I'll be able to stop. That's what you have to say. Who said, no, you didn't understand him. He didn't talk about those who already smoke. He was talking about somebody who will start to smoke. He's not allowed. But someone who's already smoking is very hard to stop, you know. Just say the truth. The truth hurts. So I, so I tell you, you know, when, when they came out and said that all the wigs are hair from Avodah Zarah. In India, the women shave their hair and put it to Buddha or to the other gods that they have over there. So when they found out, there was big noise in, Yerush- in Bnei Brak. So one woman came to a class, teacher, in Bet Yaakov. First time she came with a cover, always had a wig. When she came into the class, the girls, high school, they all look at her, 12 years old. It was a class of 12 year old. They all look at her. They, never, they couldn't recognize her because she always came with her fancy wig. When she came into the class, she said, as I said to her, what happened? She said, didn't you hear? Rav Eliashif said that all these wigs are not kosher. It's all come from Avodah Zarah, from idols worshipping. Anything that was put in front of an idol, no permission to enjoy it in any way. has to be destroyed from the face of the earth. So now I'm going to put it on my brain, on my neshama. Right away, I took it out. So one girl in a class, right away, took her wig off and stayed with a bald head. And everybody found out that she's sick with cancer. And nobody knew. She had a wig. She's going to chemo after school every week. And they look at the girl and she says, Rav Eliashif says it's not kosher. How can I stay with that another minute? Look at these hero girls. This is a good example. This is something to imitate. She could have waited another three hours until she get home and make a different arrangement, get some synthetic wig or something, no? But another minute I won't stay with this avodas around my head. I get a big embarrassment. Everyone will see me bald. Twelve years old girl, take her wig off and everybody see a bald girl. Do you, do you understand the embarrassment here or not? Like for a woman to show herself bald? It's a big thing. Hashem's come more better than my pride, my ego. First Hashem. With all the pain. First Hashem. That's a hero. Hashem comes before me. If we get to this level, we are good, I promise you. If you come before Hashem, if you come before Hashem not good. This is what Pirkei Avot says. Make your wishes as his wishes. He wants Shabbat, make your wishes. Shabbat, I can't wait. He wants modesty, ah, only modesty. He wants glad kosher, strictly kosher. Hashem, only kosher I want. I don't want anything half enough. He wants this, he wants Torah, I want Torah. You become like a duplication of Hashem. Whatever you wish, it's basically what Hashem wished. That's a perfect person. Today is the opposite. First a person makes his wishes. What do I want? I want a good heavy belly. Steak, sushi, this... Now let's see. It's kosher? That's okay. It's kosher. Give me. That rabbi said it's okay. This wig? Wow, beautiful. But this rabbi and this rabbi, they say it's direct to hell. Direct with this wig. But that rabbi said it's okay. Ah, no problem. Give it to me. 
One person came to Ravel Yashiv with his tefillin. He paid, this was 20 years ago, $1,500 for his tefillin. It's like more than 2000 today. He didn't know me. I could give it to him for a third of a price, but <laughs> that was 20 years ago, and I was still a kid. So he comes with his tefillin. He says, Ravel Yashiv to Ravel Yashiv, I, I bought his tefillin. It's very special. I paid $1,500, and now they told me it's not kosher. I went to a second opinion, so he told me it's kosher. I started to get confused. So I went to a third opinion, he said it's kosher bediavad, which means after the act, you can look at that as kosher, but barely. You know, like there's problems, there's problems, barely kosher. Ah, so he goes like this. Ah, Rabbi, I got so scared. Ah, no, 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 I mixed up the whole story. Rav Eliashiv was the third person. One person told him not kosher, one person told him kosher. Now Rav Eliashiv told him, kasher bediavad. After he was done, you know, to say it's not kasher, you cannot say. To say it's kasher, it's very difficult. No? So he said, ah, baruch Hashem. So he was about to leave. Then Rav Eliashiv screamed to him, it's kasher bediavad. He looks at him. But it's kosher, no? He said, barely! So he doesn't understand. He said, you want to have all your life mitzvah filin barely? What kind of Yeresh you are? What kind of lover of Hashem you are? Barely! Barely! Uh, a person that wants to be a good actor, if he got 56 on a test, he passed. If he's a complete loser, ah, I, most important thing, I pass my exam. If he's a intelligent and wants to do good, he goes again on a test. I don't want with 56 to be a doctor. I want with 95. That's what I want. What kind, you know, like they, and I heard that they made, I heard that one time they made a commercial that a person come to get a job. I said, we heard you have a law a law, a master in law, master degree. So he said, yeah, Beit Steinut, he says. I was extra good. He said, in what school? <laughs> <laughs> when he said the name of the school, <laughs> they, put the, they put the paper, the resume, in a shredding machine. <laughs> It looks very good. And what school? As soon as we say the name of the school, get out of here. They put him in a study machine. <laughs> we have Mamash a minute, so let's just finish this. So, remember. Remember, one, one is in the first reincarnation, when everyone was clean, and Hashem announced. Second, now it depends who you are. And the stipler head, he says, still, there's no contradiction. Yeah, it depends who you are, but even where, who you are, you still have many options, and Hashem announced. She is not for you, she is for you. But it's all your fault that you got to this situation. Uh, we finish for today, and Bezrat uh, Hashem, next week, I'm just going to give you a quick preview. We're going to speak about a person, every mitzvah that a person does is going to heaven and has a title. And when a person dies, this mitzvah, in a, in a, it's a presentation of, a, of an angel, it comes and it says, my name is such and such, I was created in that day by this person, 
in this place, and they show how he did that mitzvah, and this is all the defense in your trial. Every mitzvah, it's a defense. And every sin is the same thing, a black angel that waits for you to come and be the prosecutor against you. Now everybody understands that the more defense you have compared to prosecutors, the better your situation is. If you have more prosecutors, then your situation is not good. And this is what the Torah say about Yosef Atzadik. He did not want to touch the wife of Potiphar even once because a Jew goes with a Goya. She tied to him for the next world forever. There's no way to get rid of her. It's an embarrassment forever that a Jew rebelled against Hashem and went with a foreign woman from a different nation, even though the Torah said, the Torah was very strict about it, and the Torah says that there is no permission to do it. Yosef was afraid that she will be tied to him, and that's why he was struggling not to touch her. This is, and you know, we have a lot of interesting things for next week. Please don't, oh, actually, as, as a matter of fact, I wanted to tell you that next Wednesday I won't be here. So the following Wednesday, which is the last Wednesday before Pesach, there will be a final shiur. I'm going to Canada early in the morning on Thursday morning, so I won't be able to be here on the Wednesday night. So remember, please everyone that here remember, Wednesday in two weeks, I'm going to come back here. Wednesday in two weeks, okay? Thank you very much. Continue this.